folks here. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a pleasure and an honor to, to preach again here at Good Shepherd. I always enjoy coming and being with you. It's certainly not the same, a uh, pretty empty auditorium. And, uh, but I encourage you, if you don't already have your Bibles there, we'll go back to uh, where the Bible reading was. I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 this evening. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, <clears throat> I spoke with your pastor um, before I, I came up here, and I want you to know that, that I have spoken to him about what I'm going to preach, um, because this possibly isn't what you would preach in someone else's pulpit necessarily, because I'm not preaching to my own people, I'm preaching to his people. So I ran it by him, and uh, I trust it'll be a help to you. And uh, it's in and around how we as Christians in this day uh, ought to interact and behave and what our attitude ought to be towards our civil authority. And uh, it's, in, it's been a help to me as I've studied this out. I've seen some things and some attitudes in my own heart that needed to change. And I thought I was right, but as I look at the Scriptures, and that's the good thing about the Scriptures, isn't it? As we submit ourselves to the Word, uh, we ought to comply to the Word and uh, so I trust it will be a help to you and you'll get something from here and the Lord will help us. So let's have a word of prayer. Uh, please pray for me and I'm sure your pastor has said and I'll say to you, uh, it may be easy when we're not all together and you're sitting wherever you may be sitting uh, not to engage in prayer and engage and be, uh, become a part of the service. But let me encourage you, would you pray for me wherever you might be uh, while you're listening tonight. Pray, so let's have a word of prayer. And uh, please pray for us that the Lord would help us as I seek to bring this message this evening. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace. And what a privilege it is to be able to stand in the pulpit again here. And uh, Lord, we just need your blessing uh, and we need your help and enabling. Father, I confess to you, I am not able to preach this message without the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you be pleased to help me? And I pray as your word is preached and taught this evening, I pray that it would find good ground, dear Lord, in the hearts of those that hear. And I pray that you'd help us, God, as a church and as Christians and as citizens of this country. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to be all that we ought to be for your honour and for your glory. And Lord, we just ask your blessing on our time together. I pray for Brother Neil as he's preaching tonight. Up there at Sunshine, pray your hand to be upon him. Use him in that service. And Lord, we just pray and ask that your hand to be upon us here. Lord, we need you. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to draw your attention to verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. And I'd like to draw your attention to those last three words, honour the king. Now, to honour means to revere, and it means to rightly value. And we're instructed here by the Apostle Peter to honour the king. We're to revere the king, and we're to rightly value the position of the king. Now, let me just paint a bit of a scene of, uh, from a historical point of view, who was the king at this stage, and what the people were actually facing when Peter wrote this epistle. And so if you have a look in chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. 
Now, there are regions within Asia Minor and they were, he was writing to the strangers that were scattered throughout that region. Why were they scattered? Have a look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted. Uh, they were under a fiery trial. And because of that fiery trial and persecution, they had scattered for their safety. Now let me remind you that the king at this time was a man by the name of Nero. And uh, he, he began his reign in AD 54 and he reigned until AD 68. He began his reign at the age of 16. And here's the apostle Peter saying, honour that 16-year-old. That's hard enough as it is, honouring a 16-year-old as a person of authority. He began his reign at the age of 16. He had his mother and his stepbrother murdered. He had two political opponents executed along with a love interest when she became politically inconvenient. He is blamed for starting the great fire of Rome in AD 64 and then blaming it upon the Christians who he then brutally persecuted, tortured and murdered. He's suspected of kicking to death his second wife, Papia, before she gave birth to their second child. He committed suicide June the 9th, 1868, at the age of 30, because he was about to be overthrown. And the Apostle Peter said, you honour that king. Honour the king, Peter said. The Apostle Peter, in fact, was martyred under the reign of Nero. He was martyred during the persecution of Nero, of the Christians, and Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was telling the Christians of his day, his contemporaries, he said, you honour that man. He was a wicked king, yet Peter said, honour the king. Now, I want you to hold your place here, we'll be back here in a minute, but take uh, your Bible and turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 13. Now, how did Peter come to this conclusion of honouring the king. And we see, and as you're turning there, you'll notice in verse 13 of, second, of 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or under governors. And then in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, he said, let every soul be subject under the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Peter said, honour the king. And Paul said in Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject under the higher powers. The higher powers is the king. Now we don't have a king, but we have a prime minister and we have premiers. And I want to say to you this evening that as Christians, we too ought to honour the king. We ought to honour the Prime Minister. We ought to honour the Premier. Now, I'm thankful that our Prime Minister isn't a man like Nero. I'm thankful that our Premier isn't a woman like Nero. Now, I don't agree with everything the Prime Minister's done. I don't agree with everything the Premier of Queensland's done. In fact, there's an awful lot of law and legislation that's been passed here in the state of Queensland I thoroughly disagree with. But yet my Bible tells me, honour the King. Romans 13 and verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject under the higher powers. In verse 6 of chapter 13 there in the book of Romans, it says, For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers. 
the higher powers, the king, the governor, the prime minister, the premier, the health minister, whatever it may be, they are the ministers of God. It says here in verse 1, For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. God's ordained government. God set up that hierarchy of authority in this world. Could you imagine if there was no king? Could you imagine if there was no premier? Could you imagine if there was no police force? If there was no government, there'd be utter chaos and everyone would be doing what was right in their own eyes. So we're to honour the king because that king and that authority is ordained of God. In uh, Psalm 75 and verse 6, it says, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up the other. Now, I'm thankful that we live in a nation where we can have elections and we can have a say who we want to govern us and rule over us. But we also need to acknowledge that God has his way in all that. And he puts up one and he brings down another. And God has ordained that authority. Notice in verse 2 in Romans chapter 13, it says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So not only do I need to acknowledge that God has ordained that authority in my life, but I also need to acknowledge from verse 2 that if I resist that authority... I'm actually resisting God. Now, I don't like that. My flesh likes liberty and freedom. And I don't want anyone governing me and telling me what to do. But verse 2 says that whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. The Lord help us to understand the importance of this. Notice verse 7 of Romans chapter 13. Render therefore to all their dues, rendering is paying back or giving out, their dues, dues is what is indebted to them, what I owe them. Uh, So render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour, To whom honour. Now, what we need to acknowledge here is that we have authorities over us and they are due, they we owe them some things because of not necessarily their personality or their character, but because of their position. Because God's ordained that higher power, therefore I owe that higher power tribute that's tax. The government didn't come up with the idea of tax. God came up with the idea of tax. This authority has to be funded somehow. He said pay them tribute. Custom, you import something, you're going to have to pay an import tax. That's called custom. Uh, Fear, they they are owed some reverence and respect. And then it also says there in verse 7, it says tribute, it says custom, it says fear, and it says honour. And that has the idea of reverence and rightly valuing their position. Now, as Australians, we don't do well at this. 
because we're a bunch of rebels at heart. We all want to be like Ned Kelly. Uh, Some of us look a little bit more like Ned Kelly than others, so some of us are well on the way. But I've got to confess that my flesh is well on the way to being a Ned Kelly because in my flesh I want to be a rebel. I enjoy being a rebel. It suits my flesh well to be rebellious. But as we look at these few verses and as we think about our text verse, honour the king, what should the Christian's response be to authority? As a Christian, what sort of attitude should I have towards those that rule me and govern me? And now we might think we live in a free world and in a free country, but we don't. We have authority over us, ruling us and governing us. And so what, is, what ought my attitude be as a Christian towards that? But then let me ask you this question. How do I respond to an authority that I disagree with? Well, Proverbs 24 and verse 21 says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. So Proverbs 24 and verse 21 says, I'm to fear the Lord. That's all caps Lord. That's Jehovah. That's God. But then it says also fear the king and that's all in lowercase. So I'm supposed to fear the Lord, my creator, my God, but I'm also supposed to fear my civil authority. Now that's easy when my civil authority loves God. And they're in harmony. And when my civil authority makes decisions based on the scripture and that line up with my convictions and that are appealing to me as a Christian, ah, no worries. I can fear God and I can fear the king very easily. But the problem is and the reality that we need to embrace is that we live in a fallen world. And we live in a world where 99.9% of the world leadership and government don't even recognise my Lord, let alone fear and love my Lord. But yet I'm told in Proverbs 24 and 21 to fear the Lord and fear the King. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20 says, Curse not the King, no, not in thy thought. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20 says, Don't curse the King, not even in your thought. Don't even think badly about the King. Ah, guilty. And the reason you don't need to think about it is because you don't have enough enough control over your lips and what you're thinking in your mind and in your heart will slip out your mouth. And God said, you honour the king, don't curse the king. Now, as an Australian man, I'm guilty of mocking the king. I'm guilty of ridiculing our premier in Queensland because of some of the ridiculous laws that have been passed in the last few years and our health minister, and our deputy premier. and I don't like it, but I'm told to honour the king. How do we honour civil authorities in our lives as Christians? Well, can I tell you, number one, the first thing we need to do to honour them is to pray for them. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, please. 1 Timothy chapter 2. How am I going to honour my civil authorities even though I disagree with them? Number one, you better pray. And you better pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore, so now Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that in authority. So, 
Paul is saying to Timothy, when you come together, the first, one of the most important things, when it says first of all, that's not necessarily first in chronological order, but first in importance. A very important thing to do when you come together as a congregation is to pray for all men. And we see here that it says very plainly that uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now therefore, they are four different types of prayer. I won't take the time to explain that, but let me just point out the last two. Intercessions and giving of thanks for all men. As Christians, we are supposed to be interceding and giving thanks for all men. Verse 2 goes on and says, For kings and for all that are in authority. I'm supposed to get upon my knees and I'm supposed to intercede on behalf of our Premier and on behalf of our Prime Minister, and I'm supposed to be giving thanks for them, even though I don't agree with them, I'm supposed to be thanking the Lord for their authority over me and interceding on their behalf, praying for them and for their good. Keep going in verse 2. For kings and for all that enter in authority, here's a reason why, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, thankfully, for the last 200 years, we've had peace and liberty to serve our Lord and to preach whatever we want to preach from our Bible, from these pulpits. We can go out on the street and we can preach on the street. We can hand out gospel tracts. We can knock on doors. We can do whatever we want to do in evangelizing our communities and worshiping our God with complete peace and quietness. Isn't that good? Thank God we've lived in a country that we can do that. But if you want to keep doing that, you better intercede and you better pray. Instead of cursing the Premier, instead of cursing the Prime Minister, instead of cursing the Health Minister, we ought to be interceding on their behalf and thanking God for them and honouring them for the position that they hold in our lives. That goes against the flesh of Phil Highland, I can tell you. It really does. I, I, I don't revel in that. I think, oh, that'll be fun. No, but that's what I'm called to do. If I want my children to grow up in a nation where they can continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and lead a peaceable and quiet life, I better put in the hard yards of praying, interceding and giving thanks for them. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Verse 3 gives us another reason. If there's no other reason, here it is. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. God said it's good. He said, I love to see my children on their knees praying for their authority even though they don't agree with them. He said, that's good and that's acceptable in my sight. Uh, verse 4, here's another reason. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How are they going to be saved and come under the knowledge of the truth? Well, as long as we have liberty to preach the gospel. And if we want to maintain, if we want to have that liberty in future, we better be praying rather than cursing our earthly civil authorities. But as Australians, we're real quick to mock, ridicule, judge and curse and talk badly about our civil authorities. Second thing we ought to do, so first thing we ought to do to honour the king is we ought to pray for them. Secondly, we ought to submit to them. Go back with me to Romans chapter 13, if you would, please. Romans chapter 13. We need to submit 
to our earthly civil authorities. Now, I'll just remind you, back in our text verse, go to Romans 13, but I'm just going to remind you of what our text verse says in 2, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the kings as supreme or under governors as under them that are sent by him. So we go to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We need to pray for our civil authorities. But secondly, we need to submit to them. Now to submit is to be in, to subordinate. It's to come under the rule of another. Now let me talk to you men for a little minute. I, I preached a message a few weeks ago on holy women in and around Mother's Day. And uh, one of the marks of a holy woman is that she's a submissive woman. And we make, now we, we, if we're honest men, as Christian men, we make some really bonehead decisions, really stupid decisions as husbands and fathers because we get it wrong. And we expect our wives to graciously submit to our ridiculous decision. Don't we? Ah, you might you might begin to understand how your wife feels sometimes. When the Bible asks you, not only asks you, tells you to submit to your civil authority, even though you disagree. You know, isn't it wonderful to have a loving, holy wife that's willing to submit, even though she knows I've made a bonehead decision and I'm wrong. And she has her opinion, and I'm thankful for that, and she'll point it out, but then she'll graciously submit. But you know... You might be able to graciously point out to your premier that they are wrong, but you still need to submit. And that bristles against me. I preach, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm right. They're wrong. That gives me right to, to not submit because you're wrong. You wouldn't put up with that out of your wife. Right? Oh, no. Hey, but God doesn't want to put up with that, with you, uh, out, that, with, with that out of you as a Christian towards your civil authority. We're to, we're to be in subordination to our civil authority even when they're wrong. He said you submit to them. That's what Peter said to, to the people of his day, to a king like Nero that kicked his wife to death. He said you, you submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Notice in Romans chapter 13 and verse 5, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience. Let me give you two reasons why we ought to submit. Number one, we ought to submit to our civil authority, even when they're wrong, uh, out of the fear of punishment from those civil authorities. If you rebel, they will write you a fine. If you rebel, they will put you in prison. And they have every right to because the, they are your authority. But not only should we submit out of fear of punishment, but we ought to submit for the sake of a clear conscience before God. Because if you're in rebellion to your civil authority, you're going to have trouble coming before God with a clear conscience. And as children of God, we ought to be operating in a clear conscience before our Lord. Let me give you the third reason why we ought, how we ought to uh, honour the King. Go with me to Titus chapter 3, if you would please. 
Titus chapter 3. I want to say to you how I honour the king. Number one, I ought to pray for them. Number two, I ought to submit to them. And then number three, it runs along pretty close here to the second one. I need to obey my civil authority. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's Paul, not writing to Timothy, but now writing to Titus. And he said to them, said to Titus here, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Do you see there in the middle of verse 1, it says to obey magistrates. We see there, he said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. That's your authorities, that's your premier, that's your prime minister, that's your president, that's your governor. And then it says to obey magistrates. For those of you that are struggling what it means to obey, it means to do as you're told. Oh yeah, I don't like that either. Uh, you, you, you really mean I have to do as I'm told? I'm a grown man. Not only am I a grown man, but I'm a grown Australian man. And I've got a female premier telling me what I have to do, and you're telling me that I'm supposed to do what I'm told? Yes, sir, that's what I'm telling you. Absolutely. Because that's what your Bible says. Titus said, obey magistrates. Now, Paul said to Titus, to, to be subject to principalities and to powers. Notice with me verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they, which have, uh, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Well, you know what we're supposed to do as we're told. We're supposed to be obedient to our civil authorities. And one of the main ideas of that is to be careful to maintain good works. Uh, our missionary, uh, brother, brother Kaufman, talked about the reason they were self-isolating and trying to be careful was because of the testimony of the church in that community. Now, you can get out here like a rebel and you can do what you want, not self-isolate and everything else, and you can defy civil authority, but you're going to destroy your testimony. And you'll end up destroying the testimony of your local church. Because this church is going to be here a long time after all these restrictions are gone. And people are going to remember how you behaved through this thing. You see, we're supposed to be, be careful to maintain good works as Christians. Go back up to verse 2. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. I want to say that as Christians, we all, our, our behaviour ought to be exemplary. We ought to be setting the standard for citizens' behaviour in our society. And it says in verse 2, Speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers. And you know there's some independent Baptists that want to be brawlers over this subject. They, they want to make a fight. There is no fight. There's nothing to brawl over. And we're told not to be brawlers. We're told to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but in contrast to being a brawler, we're to be gentle. To show all meekness under all men. Yeah, but I'm right. So what? Be meek. Be gentle. 
Don't be a brawler even though you're right and they're wrong. The Christian should be setting the standard. Now this brings me to my fourth point and probably the meat of where I'm wanting to be. If I'm going to honour the king, I need to pray for them. I need to submit to them and I need to obey them. But when do we echo the voice of Peter in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 when he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I've heard that an awful lot lately. Point number four, I guess, is where is the line drawn where we say you've gone too far? Enough is enough. Where, where do we say, now I disobey, now I defy? Because as a Christian, there is a line. But we need, brethren, to be very, very careful that we don't draw that line in our flesh and from our culture of Australia and all of those sorts of things. We need to be really careful to allow the Scriptures to define where that line is, where we echo the voice of Peter and the apostles and we say we ought to obey God rather than men because people are being pretty quick to shout that voice. And, and I fear their motive and their spirit is not right. And now let, let, me, let me give you a few illustrations. I'm going to try and be quick as I give you these illustrations. Go with me to Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to give you two illustrations from the book of Daniel. And we're looking at where the line is. Where do I draw the line? And, and if I'm wrong on where I'm drawing this line, pastor is going to correct you. This is where I drew the line for my folks. And I, say, I believe this is a biblical line, but your pastor will correct me if, if, uh, if my line is wrong here. Let, let, me, let me give you the first illustration here with the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to take the time to draw all this out. We'll be here too long. And most of you are too comfortable on your couch and going to sleep anyway. So, and ready for bed. You've probably got your popcorn and your Coke or your hot chocolate or whatever it is. In your jammies already. Got your slippers on. And uh, you're having trouble not nodding off anyway. So let me, let me be quick and brief as, as I can, but I want to get the message across as well. Daniel chapter 3, here we have a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and he's built himself an image and he's passed an edict that all, when they hear the music, everybody in the nation will bow down and worship him. Go him into verse 6 for the sake of time. Whoso falleth not down and worship, worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. I want you to notice the word worshipeth in verse 6. That's important, brethren. He said, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Go down to verse 12 for the sake of time. Now, uh, if you have a look, if you have a look, uh, probably, where is it? Verse 3, uh, you'll see the, the civil authorities are given. Princes, governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counsellors, sheriffs, and they all had authority over these different provinces. Uh, prime minister, premiers, mayors, all these things. Now, some of them got wind of these Hebrew boys not bowing down and worshipping. Now, notice what it says in verse, now, and they dobbed. They called the hotline 
And they dobbed on them for not worshipping when the music played. Notice verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. Notice this statement. They serve not thy gods, nor worship, there it is again, the golden image which thou hast set up. What were they guilty of? They were guilty of defying the king's ordinance to worship who he told them to worship. Do you see where the line's been drawn? Notice verse 17. Here they've been brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is pleading with them and giving them another chance. Verse seven, and he says to them uh, in verse 16, uh, We are not careful uh, to answer thee in this matter, O king. He's... Uh, so the three Hebrew boys, are, uh, they're standing there before Neb and they said, Look, O king, uh, we're not careful to answer you uh, on this matter. And they said, this is their statement. Please notice their language, notice their spirit and notice their attitude. They are not brawlers. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Would you notice that they did not curse the king? They did not rail on the king. They did not tell the king he was stupid. They did not even tell the king he was wrong. They they referred to him as O king with some reverence, with some respect, They honoured him, but they disagreed with him. And you can disagree with your authority, but you better honour him while you disagree. And then they just said, look, king, we're not going to. You're just going to have to throw me in the fire. Do you see that? But where the line was drawn, where they defied, was when King Neb said, you will worship who I tell you to worship. We know what happened. Uh, we, we know what happened. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? I just love reading over it and reading about it. We haven't got time to do all that. But we know that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he, man, he popped a valve. He was mad. And uh, he heated that furnace seven times hotter than it was. And he got the biggest, strongest men he could find. And he gathered the, those three Hebrew boys. And he took those big, strong men. And as those big, strong men were leading them in, the fire was so hot that those strong men were consumed before they even got to the fire. And there those three Hebrew boys just walking around in the fire without even so much as the smell of smoke upon them and they came back out and God delivered them miraculously but notice verse 26 old Neb changed his mind who they ought to be worshipping verse 26 I make a degree that uh, in every part of my dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God but do you see how they defied their authority Do you see where they defied their authority? When they were being dictated to as to who they would worship. Go with me to Daniel chapter 6. Here we we see Daniel himself. Over here in Daniel chapter 6, the king has changed. We have King Darius. And King Darius, uh, he's... uh, He's uh, the, the king of the kingdom there and uh, over that whole realm and he set up a number of princes that, uh, that rule under him in verse 2 and 
in verse 2 we see, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts under them and the king should have no damage. Uh, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So here's Daniel. He had a good spirit about him and he was the top of the presidents. And so the other presidents, they didn't really like that. They got envious and jealous and they sought for a way that they might be able to trip him up and find something that they could accuse him of. And so they're watching Daniel pretty closely, and Daniel's such a good man and such an upright citizen. Notice what it says in verse 4 and verse 5, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. Why? Because he was a good citizen, that's why. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They said, you know, the only way we're going to trip, trip, trip this fella up is when it comes to his God. That's how we're going to get him. And so they came up with this idea and they flattered Darius they went before Darius and they said, look, Darius, we've got this great idea. We want you to sign a bill into law that doesn't allow anybody to pray to anyone except for you for 30 days. And they knew if they did that, they'd be able to get Daniel because they knew that Daniel loved God and Daniel would continue to serve God no matter what. So they passed that decree. Darius signed that off. And uh, notice would, with me, would you please, in... Verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They were looking for it. They were looking to trip him up. They were looking for, for where they could catch him. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Has thou not signed a decree that every man that asks a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the dead of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true. So here's Daniel, and in verse 10 and verse 11, he just went about serving his God how he'd always served his God. He, he didn't rise up. He didn't cause a rebellion. He didn't curse the king. He didn't rail on the other presidents who were trying to trip him up. He, he just went quietly about faithfully serving his God and praying to who he'd always prayed to. We know what happened. Daniel was taken. Daniel was cast into a den of lions. And uh, we see in verse 16, Darius said, uh, The king spake and said to Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Darius said, I got faith. I got tricked. And I got faith that the, the God that you continually serve, I, I, I'm confident he'll deliver you out of this. And again, Darius changed his degree. And notice in verse 26, we know that Daniel was delivered. Verse 26, I make a degree that in every part of my dominion of my kingdom, uh, kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He's the living God. I read that when I was up there. I should have been reading a different verse. I just realized on, on the Hebrew boys. But... Darius, Darius changed his degree. Daniel was taken, put in that den of lions. Daniel was delivered. Daniel defied that decree by his king, whom he loved his king, and the king loved Daniel. But Daniel said, look, you're not going to tell me who I can pray to. I'm just going to keep praying to Jesus. 
I'm just going to be faithful about it. I'm not going to get a bad attitude. I'm not going to rail on you, King Darius, but I'm just going to continue doing what, I'm, what I've been doing because I'm going to continually serve my God. Do you see where the, lawn's been, the line's been drawn? It's in worshipping. It's in praying. Now go with me over the New Testament into Acts chapter 5. Here we have Peter and the apostles. I'm trying to move for you uh, um, along quickly. Acts chapter 5. And uh, here we have contextually, uh, here we have uh, Peter and the apostles, they're preaching in Solomon's porch and the, 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 the testimony of even those that despised them was that they were filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. They were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And notice, it, if you would please, in uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him which is the sect of Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Can I, can I point out that they rose up with great indignation? And can I point out to you that the Australian government and the Queensland government has not risen up in indignation against the church? That has not happened, and you're kidding yourself, and you're making a, a mountain out of a molehill if that's, if that's the line you're taking. They've not done that. They have not treated us any different to anybody else. As, they, as we've been opening up, they've, they've been consistent. Cafes can have 10 people, the church can have 10 people. Cafes can have 20 people, church can have 20 people. They are not persecuting the church. You're looking for a fight that's not there, if that's what you're saying. The Australian government and the Queensland government at this stage has not risen with great indignation against the church. It's just not on. It's, it hasn't happened. They laid hands on the, on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So here they were, they, wrote, they, 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 they were stirred with great indignation because of what they were preaching and whose name they were preaching in. And they arrested them and threw them in the common prison. We know, if you read through down through there, you'll see that God miraculously delivered them out of the prison. And then what did they do? They went straight back to Solomon's porch and straight back out in the, pre in the streets and continued to preach in the name of Jesus. They didn't rail on the high priest. They didn't curse the high priest. They didn't tell him he was a fool. They didn't make a fight and a fuss. They, just, they graciously went to prison. God just miraculously delivered them. Then they graciously went about preaching the name of Jesus once again. Notice with me, if you would please, in verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. So they're bringing the apostles and Peter uh, to be before the council. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. That's the civil authority. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So let me bring out two things. Number one, they, they were stirred and they rose up with indignation. You, you need to keep that in mind. But secondly, what they were indignant about was the name they were preaching in. And so they commanded and the law and what they, the edict they gave, they said, look, you can go out and preach whatever you want, but you better not mention the name of Jesus. We are not guilty of his blood. We don't want to hear it. We crucified him. That's the end of it. So you go out and preach whatever you want, but you better leave the name of Jesus out of it. 
That's, what they were, that's why there was so much indignation because of whose name they were preaching in and the doctrine that they were preaching because they were preaching the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he was the Messiah that had come and died for all mankind and, that they, and, and they were guilty of crucifying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this is the context that Peter, Peter says, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. You don't have the authority what I can teach and what I can preach. Did, do you see that? That's important to get a hold of these things. Notice, go with me to verse 40. And uh, to him, uh, so Peter took opportunity to continue to preach what he was told not to preach. And uh, there right before him, and in verse 40, and to him, uh, to him they agreed. And uh, so there's this fellow, what's his name? Is it Gamiel? Yeah, Gamaliel, uh, the doctor of the law. He said, look, let's just leave him alone. If it's of God, you can't fight against it. And if it's not of God, it'll die off anyway. Just forget about it. Let's not, let's not fight this thing. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles... And beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they beat the apostles and they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they departed and as they departed, they turned around and cursed the king. That's not what your Bible says. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They were beaten, they were commanded not to do it, they said you crossed the line, we ought to obey God rather than man, we're just going to keep preaching Jesus. The orders were defied when the civil authority demanded who to worship, who to pray to, and what to teach. That's when they said, enough is enough. Our authorities haven't done that, brethren. Our authorities have asked us, along with everybody else in society, to please refrain from gathering publicly while we try and combat this virus. That's it. And if you make it any more than that, you're making it up. It's, it's no more than that. There is no fight. And if, if you go beyond that and you try and make it out to be something, you're poking the bear. You're looking for attention. You're looking for a fight. You're looking for a debate. You're looking for an argument. And I want to say to you, if we don't have that meek and quiet spirit that we ought to have and that gentle spirit as Christians, and we want to defy and push back against these things when the line has not been crossed, we're stepping into being rebels. Now, we're coming down to the end, I promise. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Let me, let me just draw out the attitude that we don't need to have, the spirit that we do not need to adopt. I don't care if you're an independent Baptist or not. We don't need this spirit. It's unhelpful. And not only is it unhelpful, it's unbiblical. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the context is false teachers and seducers. Notice there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. 
So if you're godly, don't worry about the temptation and trial. God knows how to deliver you anyway. And those that have been unjust, he'll punish them in the day of judgment. Verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Notice this, they're walking after the flesh. They're not in the spirit. They're walking after the flesh. They're walking after lusts of uncleanness and despise government. Too many Australians despise government. We despise authority. We do not like authority. I don't. In my flesh, as an Australian, leave me alone and just let me do whatever I want to do. But to despise government is to be walking after the flesh. Notice this. It says, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Angels are far more powerful than you'll ever dream of being. But they don't speak evil or bring a railing accusation against principalities and powers and civil authorities. So what gives you the authority to do that? What gives me the authority to do that? We have none. What I'm doing is I'm embracing a fleshly attitude. I'm embracing a presumptuous attitude. And I'm embracing a self-willed attitude. And that's not the attitude we ought to be embracing as a Christian. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Proverbs 17 and verse 11 says, An evil man seeketh only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. I oughtn't be seeking to rebel, I ought to be seeking to pray, submit and obey until that line has been crossed. And when it is crossed, and only when it is crossed, I graciously, with honour towards my civil authority, go about serving my Lord as I've been instructed to in the Scriptures. You might say, well, and I've heard, th- I've heard this so often, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it's a command that we assemble together. You know, it's amazing that a lot of these people that say that don't do it when they can. I'll just put that out there, that that's exactly true. Can I say to you, and a, a good man in my church said this to me just a couple of days ago, we were talking about the subject, and you know this man, Johnny Cav, Johnny Kavner is his name, you know him, some of you would know him. He said to me, he said, Pastor, you know, he said, when it comes to that verse, it comes, it comes down to our spirit and our intent. If our spirit and our intention is to gather together and we want to, even though we can't at the moment, but our intention is and our desire is to gather together, the Lord knows that. But when we're sitting at home saying, who, could, who cares, I couldn't be bothered, that we've got an issue. But can I, another man in my church, Brother Gav, he said, he said Pastor, we're not assembling, we're assembling at the moment. And we are. We're assembling through technology, through electronics. It's not ideal. It's not really the design. But we're doing the best we can to continue to worship out. We're doing the best we can to fear the Lord and fear the King. We're doing our best to fear God and honour the King. Can I point out to you as we close, can I point you to our Lord Jesus Christ as our ultimate example of how to behave towards civil authority. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 21, he had the weight of the crucifixion in front of him. He was in the garden. 
And while he was standing in the garden, he knew he was about to be betrayed by a friend. A hypocritical friend was about to lay a a kiss of deceit upon his cheek and betray him. Judas came and kissed him and then the civil authorities came and arrested Jesus and laid hold of him. And as they laid hold of Jesus, a passionate man by the name of Peter drew his sword and struck off Malchus's ear. Now this is the same Peter that later on said, Honour the king. And that king being Nero. And the Lord Jesus said to him in Matthew 26 and verse 51, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus could have just spoke the word and slain everybody. But Jesus was submitting to civil authority. Now I understand there's a bigger picture here. But Jesus submitted to civil authority and he told Peter to submit to civil authority. He said, don't don't you think I could take care of this? Peter, I appreciate you taking his ear off, mate, but calm down. You know, I can take care of it if I need to. And there's Peter. And can I say this? Peter intended well. His intentions were right. His motive was right. He loved Jesus and he was going to defend Jesus to the death. Most of us wouldn't have done that. We're too cowardly. Peter's intention was right, but it was a little bit misdirected. Jesus said, put your sword up, Peter. Jesus then went before the council. They placed that crown of thorns upon him. They stripped him. They beat him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They plucked his beard out. They beat him. And you know what they marveled at? They didn't marvel at what he said. He didn't curse the king. Jesus didn't justify himself. Jesus didn't demand his rights. You know what? They marveled at the fact that he didn't say anything. And brethren, that's the kind of spirit we ought to have. And then let's take it a step further. After they got through beating him and ridiculing him and mocking him, then he walked up Mount Calvary. And as he gets to the top of that Mount Calvary, they lay that big heavy cross on the ground and Jesus willingly lays upon that cross. He stretches out those hands and he crosses those legs perhaps. And as he did that, those soldiers took those great big nails and they drove it down through that wrist here and down through this, this wrist here and down through those ankles. And as they were beating those nails in, Jesus eventually says something. He didn't curse them. He didn't ridicule them. He didn't say, I'm going to get you for this, boys. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What an example our Saviour sets for us. What kind, of, what kind of spirit, what kind of attitude should we as Christians have towards our civil authorities? Can I suggest to you that we follow the pattern of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ until that line is crossed and then even when it's crossed that we continue to honour our authorities and that we continue to pray for them, submit to them as much as we can, obey them as much as we can until that line is crossed. Brethren, there is no fight. 
There is no brawl to be had. There is no reason to defy. They've just asked us, please, let's just do this for a period of time. Now, this ought to help us not only now, but in our life in general. And, you know, I've had a bad attitude towards authority all my life. I don't know about you, but I have. I've just got a real issue with authority in my flesh. I, don't, I just don't like being told what to do. I didn't like my dad telling me what to do. I don't like government telling me what to do. I don't like to be told to do 110 when I know I could safely do 150. <laughs> I don't like it. But my Bible tells me that as a Christian, my attitude and my behaviour ought to be exemplary. I ought to be careful to maintain good works. And brethren, can I, can I encourage you along that way? Can I encourage you to, to check your attitude towards your civil authority? We all want to be Ned Kelly. Not all of us can look like Ned Kelly, only some of us can. But you know, some of us, we, in our flesh, we want to be Ned Kelly. We want to be the rebel. But that's not what Christ would have us be. Christ would have us follow his example and the instruction that Peter had and the instruction that Paul had to their present day Christians. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Thank you for your attention and it's a pleasure being with you and an honour to preach here again. Sure would have been good to have you all here present. We could fellowship and enjoy each other's company, but maybe that'll come at another time. So let's have a word of prayer and I'm going to pass over to your pastor. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, forgive me. Oh, Lord, my attitude towards authority stinks. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to have a meek spirit. Help me to be gentle. Help me not be a brawler. Help me, Lord, to, to honour the King. And, Lord, may it be honouring and pleasing to you. And may, through my behaviour and through my attitude, there be opportunity for the gospel to be preached rather than the church ridiculed. And, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.